I'm Jeff Saperstein, co-author with Hunter Hastings of the book, The Interconnected Individual, Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI Platforms, Apps, and Global Exchanges. As an interconnected individual, you'll want to know how cutting-edge thinking can help you design, implement, manage, and enjoy your own individual economy. Today, we're talking with Dart Lindsley, Process and Technology Manager at Google. Dart has had numerous high-level positions at Cisco and now Google in organizational design and empowering employees for better engagement in their work. He believes that workers are customers as critical to the success of every enterprise as those who purchase products and services. This one idea has the power to revolutionize talent operations. Enterprises need to devote as much energy and attention to improving workforce experience as we do to fostering the creation of highly effective teams. We must re-architect the services we provide and the methods we use to design them. We'll discuss how DART views the employee engagement and workforce experience opportunity, both from an organization and worker perspective. You can improve both your organization and your own work satisfaction in your career if you understand how to better design the work experience. So let's begin. Hey DART, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Terrific. Well, Dart, you've been thinking about the work experience for a very long time. Can you describe the challenge and the opportunity to redesign work? And what do you mean by redesign work? Um, <clears throat> sure. So I have been working in this area in a lot, for a long time. I've been very lucky to work for, I think, some of the best employers in the world. Um, and and I've had the opportunity to work, uh, for instance, as the head of business architecture for, for some of these companies where we, we, we think about uh, human resources whole. So it's, it's not about the pieces, but what's the whole thing for? And I've come to believe that we are using an incorrect mental model to think about work. And, that, and <clears throat> it's never great to find out that you're fundamentally wrong about something. But on the other hand, it's a huge opportunity, and that's, that's some of the things I'd like to talk about today. Um, it, it, it's like, um, you know, when I think back on, on mental models that we've had wrong in the past, it's sort of like the, the transition from the miasma theory of disease to germ theory, which is we used to think disease worked one way, and, and we would treat it one way, and all the ways that we would treat it were ineffectual. But once we realized how the world really worked, we were able to, to make huge improvements and remove a lot of affliction and, and, and make the world a better place. And that's where I think we are right now. And so, you know, what I, what, what I think we, we are not getting right, you said in the beginning on what I think is right, which is I think employees are customers. And, and the way that we normally think about and talk about the workforce, and it's interesting, companies talk about the workforce this way, People in the workforce talk about themselves this way, which is that, that we, we, employees are thought of as um, a factor of production. That there's something that you buy and a thing that you buy that's like uh, a table or a chair um, that you use to create value for your real customer. And I've come to believe that, that that's just not right which is if you really look at the definition of what a customer is, which is it's, it's someone who exchanges value with your enterprise and who is free not to, then you realize that employees fit that criteria, that employees provide an 
an enormous amount of value to an enterprise and are free not to. And because of that freedom, that freedom to choose whether or not to work for a particular company in a big way, you know, to take a job or, or whether or not to choose hour by hour to work for that company or to give their whole heart to that company. Um, that's the kind of freedom employees have. And so, so what, what I've come to believe is that we have to look at, at every enterprise as being a, a multi-sided network, which is to say that they have a business model in which they have at least two customers. One customer is the customer for the goods and services that they produce. And the other customer is the worker customer. And that the worker customer is, um, is <clears throat> um, buying, really honestly subscribing to a completely different product. That they're, they're subscribing to the work experience product that the company, that the enterprise creates. And so when you, when you switch the world, you sort of put it on its head a little bit like that, you, you start to realize that, that, that every company does have this whole other line of business, which is, which is designing and building the work experience, then the world changes. And, and you have to think about your company differently. You have to invest in differently. You have to use different methods to approach the problem. Um, and, and that's what I've been working toward over these last number of years. It's a fabulous vision. Fabulous vision. Um, let's go a little more granular. So how do you see work changing with the methods you propose that you've been developing over these years, given that the customer, the, the employee is customer? So as soon as you start to think about an employee as a customer, as a worker, as a customer, then you have to start asking yourself very different questions. Um, most enterprises don't have a, a, a customer research arm that's focused toward workers. And so they don't really have that, that part of a marketing department that would really deeply understand what it is that we all want from our work. Um, and so one of the first steps is to start, is to start doing that kind of research. And the way I've been doing that is I've been asking uh, hundreds of people a marketing question, which was um, popularized by Clay Christensen. You can find it online, which is what job do you hire your job to do for you? And when you, and the reason you ask that question is you ask it so you can understand really how you should be designing the product that you're selling, um, the, the product that you that you're that you're building and creating, and you're giving to that customer. And so, when you really what it is is it's a question of of asking people, tell me about the value that this product that we're building is bringing to you, so that we can build it better. And when I've asked that question, some of the answers, at least at first, seem to be fairly straightforward. Which is, some people say, well. I mean, come on, I, I hire my job to give me money. And then you ask, your, you ask a little deeper, you say, well, why do you need money? And they say, well, to keep my family safe. So you say, well, if you could keep your family safe and nurture and grow your family um, without money, would that, would that work for you? And they say, well, yeah, I don't need the money. I just need my family to be taken care of. Um, other sort of answers you might expect is, um, 
uh, I, I hire my job to learn. And so, but then there start to be some other answers to that question that get less and less intuitive and things you might not expect. Um, one answer is I hire my job to solve puzzles. This is a place where I can go and they give me great puzzles and nobody's ever solved them before and I get to solve them. Um, other people say I hire my job um, to, uh, one of my favorites is I hire my job to look good at parties. So your job is, is sort of like adornment, which, which you, know, you, you, you ask yourself before you take a job or engage with a job, you know, does it go with my outfit? I know I've refused jobs. I've turned down job offers with tons of money associated to them because frankly, it just didn't go with the rest of my outfit. Um, other people have said, one person said, uh, I hire my job to pretend. I said, what do you mean you hire your job to pretend? He says, I, I like to go to work. I like to play dress up. I, he, he said, I like to pretend I'm the vice president. I said, you are the vice president. And, and he said, no, I'm a jazz musician. He said, I, I just play a vice president at work. And what I really want from my job, he said, is I want, uh, I want an audience and I want a stage. And I want to be able to get up on that stage and I want to be adored. And so as you dig into these things, you realize that people are, that people are getting a lot of things out of their work that's, that's not... Uh, the monetary aspects of it. And in fact, that there are these whole economies of value that are flowing through enterprises that are flowing through enterprises to workers that are not, um, that are not money. And they're, they're not the standard money benefits, anything like that. They're, they're in fact a lot more valuable than those things. Um, or at least if you've got enough of those basic things these are the things that you yearn for next. These are the things that make you feel whole and alive at work. And we haven't operationalized those economies to be more optimum. Those economies right now are more or less accidental. And so here's an example. So I'm finally going to get to your question, Jeff, which is, yeah. how do I see work changing with the methods I, I propose? So let's take the question of puzzles. One, it's, a, it's a pretty common, in my world, it's a very common answer. People say, I hire my job to, to give me puzzles to solve. Well, when you really look, I have two people on my team, or I had two people on my team, um, Jim and Don, and they both came to work to solve puzzles, and they both solve puzzles in their spare time. Um, one of them does the crossword every single day, and he does the Saturday crossword and, or the Sunday crossword in about 20 minutes. He's awesome at puzzles. The other one, over breakfast likes to take DRE logic practice tests. So these are things that they love to do in their spare time. And when they come to work, they get to work on these puzzles. Well, as a manager, I get to allocate those, the, the, I get to uh, manage the economy of puzzles. There's only so many puzzles to go around, but I know that Dawn likes one kind of puzzle. She likes these big open field, don't even know what the solution kind of puzzles are. Jim likes these ones that have a big math component and are small and naughty and, uh, and difficult, but kind of finite. And so if I, if I gave each of them sort of randomly puzzles to solve, they'd be less happy. But if I can direct the kind of puzzles that they both love that make them feel whole and alive when they come to work, I've just 
optimize the economy. And we have not operationalized that kind of, of allocation of work. And each one of these things that people hire their job for has a, a similar economy. This is a, a revolutionary way to approach work. So let me dig a little deeper. So is there a percentage of the job on puzzles or on presenting oneself, like you know the person that wants to be adored, where, okay, 25% of your job is to be adored and 75% is what we need for you to do that is not being adored, but we need it in order to justify paying you. Is that at all part of what the equation is? Or is it I can enable you to do a much higher percentage than a small percentage? Or I don't even know if percentages is the right way to approach it, but I think you understand is you're, you're talking about customization to the optimization of what that person's motivation is. Um, is it possible to have half a loaf and for them to be satisfied. So, um, so first of all, one of the things that I think is implied in your statement that I, I often come across in my own mind when I'm thinking about this is that if we treat workers like customers and if, and if workers consider themselves as customers, ourselves, because it's not them and us, it's we're all workers on some level. Um, if, if we can ourselves customers and if and if the enterprise considers us customers that in some way we are going to do less work or do things that are that are not aligned to where the company wants to go when that story that i told you about those puzzles those are that's all work when i ask people about what they hire their job to do for them the answer is i want quality work more than anything else. And their definition of quality may change from place to place, but it's not less work and it's not adjacent to work or beside work. It's work. And, and so it's just that some work people love and, and other people hate. And sometimes it's the other way around. And so it doesn't have to be like, Oh, well, 20% of your time will be fun stuff. And 80% of your time will be not fun stuff that's, you know, fun stuff that's not work, it's all work. And right. so, but, you know, can you, is, is any economy ever optimized perfectly? No. And so there's always going to be, there's always going to be some sub-optimization. And I think, and that we just, we all strive to do better. That's very, very, very interesting how, of course, we can now do that with technology and with AI, and that's my next question for you. Uh, do you see technology affecting the work experience, and particularly as work is redesigned with AI as uh, tools that will help to facilitate this vision that you're talking about, and how will people be working with AI to, to be more engaged? Yeah, I think, I think there's two answers to that question. Um, one of them is, how is AI going to help us to operationalize these new services that I was just describing, like work allocation and things like that? And then the second question is, once I'm in a role, you know, and I'm doing it, am, am, is, is AI augmenting my work experience in terms of how I do my work? So let me answer the first one first. I'll give you an example of how the world would change. Um, today, when you go to a career site, 
and you're looking at a company for a career site and you start to search for jobs, um, what you search on is the skills that the job needs from you. And what's interesting about that is that's sort of like going to Amazon and, and instead of searching on the product that you actually want, it, it, the first thing that it gives you is it says, here's the currencies that we accept. So it, it's saying your, it's what Amazon is saying is here's the product that you might get that you would love. Oh, and by the way, here's the cost. But what a, what a staffing, what a career site says is here's the cost of working here. Here's the skills we need from you. And it doesn't really tell you that much about this, the specific joys or, or values of that particular role. And so what we would do is we would start to, um, to, to turn that on its side, which is to say, is this a job that will, will give you puzzles to solve? Here's the kinds of puzzles that it's going to give you to solve. Will it help you be on stage? This is a job. Show me all the jobs that, um, where I get to compete head to head with others. Show me all the jobs where I, I'm and what I'm going to learn in this job. What am I going to learn in this job? So in other words, let's start looking at what are the, the aspects of the product that, that people are subscribing to when they come to work as opposed to the, what the company wants from them. So can AI help with that? Absolutely. Because AI can learn um, if it has the right data. It can, it can learn about here are jobs here are jobs that people have taken based upon their answers, and we ask them six months later, and they say it's the best job they've ever had in their lives. And so once we start to collect that kind of information, we can wrap it back around. We can teach the AI how to, how to find jobs for people that are going to make them feel whole and alive and the best jobs they've ever had in their lives. And so, so that's an example. Now, on the, on the second question of, you know, how does AI, when, you, when your work is augmented by AI, is it going to help or hurt? It's probably going to depend, but <clears throat> one, of the, one of the kinds of work I think a lot about a lot as sort of like my models of work is, is building things. And one of the things that people say a lot, they say, I, I hire my job to build stuff. I just, just give me a tool shop, a tool shed, and some materials and let me build stuff. Um, and so when you are building stuff, um, do you use power tools? Well, there's occasionally sort of an eccentric person who likes to use a brace and bit to drill holes. But for the most part, what, what really gives people joy is, is seeing the thing that they build come together and the narrative of the assembly of what they're building. And, you know, I built, have built boats before. And there's this, there are these sort of narrative moments where you've sanded all of the wood and it's all white and dusty. And then you apply varnish and all of a sudden it lets the light out of the wood. It goes from being white to suddenly being this rich golden where you can see down into the grain. And, and that's, part of the narrative of building a boat is that moment of reveal. Well, I use power tools. It's not special to me to use hand tools or power tools because that experience of applying the varnish uh, isn't going to be changed. And it's one of the joys. And so to me, I, I mean, a lot of these AI 
things just get you to those moments quicker. Mm-hmm. Help you to, to, to get to the best parts of, of most valuable parts of the work that we do. I love it. This is fantastic. Um, Doc, can you provide some specific examples of how you changed the work experience using these methods that you proposed of real jobs with real people in terms of, of how you were able to make it more engaging for them? Yeah, I'm going to give you another example. I can mostly describe it from my own teams. Um, it's being very conscious of what you know gives people that energy. And one of the things that changes is you start to say, how am I going to win the kind of work that my workforce wants to consume? They want, you know, in other words, it's, it's the high quality work that they're going to love. And it's interesting in good to great. There was a, there was a description of a toy company that, that was thinking of going different ways with its product line or, or its whole business. And then they asked their workforce, what's the thing that you really love to do? And the workforce said, well, we like to build toys. And so they said, okay, this is the direction. We're going to go the direction that our workforce wants to go in terms of the kind of work that they want to do. And so in my last, in my last role, I, um, I, we did not have, for instance, an experienced design team. And there were a couple people on my team who were creatives and who, uh, who, had, who were in analyst roles. And one of them had a PhD in psychology, but was, was not really doing anything related to psychology. And so what, what we did is we sat back and we said, what if we created a service that we provide inside the company, which was experience design, and we create that service and we win that business and we bring that kind of work in so that, that these people who would love that kind of work have it. And we did. And it worked. And that's an up and running enterprise inside my last company. And, and so recognizing that work is a product, work is a, is a product that people subscribe to and really being conscious about that. And it goes both ways. I'm talking about it as a manager and I'm talking about it as somebody who, who, uh, who needs to operationalize stuff. But it's also for people doing the work, which is that I, as a worker, need to fully understand what are the attributes of the work experience that I want to have, and I need to work to, to create that, that, um, that opportunity. I know that you love the idea of methods and having procedures and having structure and having metrics and having impact. The stuff that you're talking about sounds very qualitative. Yeah. If you go to your management, as you did at Cisco or you now do it at Google, and you are justifying all of this, what are those, if you can share, what are some of those methods and metrics that take this, uh, which sounds very aspirational, and it makes it sound very productive and very um, value creation from the perspective of management. Yeah. So in terms of methods, I mean, essentially the main methods of this are 
market research, uh, and you know the part of market research that really understands what customers want, and design. And so, and it's design of working experience, not not the design of products. Well, it right. is service. And so, the challenges of of you know selling that kind of thing to management are always the same which is really come on what is what does design do for me and and the answer is it makes a delightful product that that people want to engage with um and so you know i am reluctant to say productivity is what you're going to get. And the reason I'm reluctant to say that um, is not because it's not what you're going to get. <laughs> you are going to get productivity. First of all, productivity is actually notoriously hard to measure. Right. Especially, especially in, um, you know, the early productivity stuff was all on bricklayers. Why? Because they're the easiest to measure in the world. When it comes to software engineers, it's not that easy. But the, but the second reason is that if you start from, look, imagine you're running a business and I'm going to start from my first thought is how much money is, are you going to give me? You, Jeff, are coming to my counter. And my first thought is how much money can I get from Jeff? You've, you've experienced this when you go to a hotel and there were all these hidden costs and they right. you for the parking and they charge you for the water and they charge you for the mint on your pillow and you feel it's like this slow motion mugging that happens when you go to a hotel like that. Um, and it's a horrible experience. Well, you don't start when you're thinking about customers from how much money are they going to give me? You start from what do they really, really want? And you build out from that and you trust that if you consistently give them those things that lead them to, and to feel whole and alive, and I'm going to come to that word whole and alive in a second, um, mm-hmm. that goodness will come. And so you have people who are not thinking about the dollar amounts that they're going to get. You have people who are thinking really hard just about what Jeff really wants and how can I provide it to Jeff. So that sales pitch doesn't always work, by the way. <laughs> the, the dynamics of enterprises are that they – they're like this truck I used to have that pulled hard into the left, <laughs> you know, which is that, you know, every time I, if I wasn't constantly fighting the steering wheel, it wanted to go into oncoming traffic. And the um, part of the company that's very concerned about making money wants to pull you away from the qualitative and the uncertain. And it wants to pull you toward the quantitative and the certain, even if it comes at the cost of the long-term benefit of the enterprise. And so, so that's, that's a constant battle. I'm not sure I have any great wisdom on that. Yeah. You, you mentioned the whole and alive, which by the way, I wrote down because it's a wonderful phrase. Can you talk about what you mean by whole and alive? Yeah. You know, I, I absolutely lifted that from a writer, uh, Christopher Alexander, um, who wrote a series of books on architecture and he, in his first book, he talks about a quality without a name. And what he's describing is he's describing that there are certain 
structures, architectural structures, that when you engage with them, the experience causes you to feel whole and alive. And there are others that make you feel dead. Yep. And, um, and he says, it's a lot like kindling a fire, which is that when, you, when it works, it's something that feeds on itself and, and makes things richer and richer. So part of the reason I use the word whole and alive is because I'm holding work to a very high standard. Um, work is a product unlike almost any other. It's, it's like it's bigger than buying a house. It's bigger than buying a car. When you buy a work experience uh, with your time, it's, it's going to consume this enormous part of your life. And in fact, you know, worldwide, it's trillions and trillions of hours are spent experiencing that work experience product. And it's this undesigned accidental thing. And it's, 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 uh, it's inhuman design in many cases. Yes. And so why I say whole and alive is, is partially because of, this rich literature that was created by Christopher Alexander and his colleagues that is talking about this quality without a name that makes design work. And then the other reason is because I'm holding it to this high standard that, that says, this is one of the most important things in your world. And it, it shouldn't make you feel dead. You should reach for something and it shouldn't just pay you and make you feel dead. It should of course pay you and achieve this higher level thing. You know, many of us have experienced that. It's almost like the self-actualization of Maslow where you feel like everything, all your faculties are being utilized and you're seeing progress, you're seeing purpose, you're seeing, you're sharing with colleagues. There's a way of dimensionalizing this from a coaching standpoint uh, that, people do feel very much alive and whole. And uh, I even remember someone saying to me, and in the job that I have, I feel like I'm dead and a dull, and I want to feel uh, alive and shiny. <laughs> right. <laughs> very much uh, what you're, you're saying is kind of this universal aspiration to be uh, not only valuable, but to have that sense of I am being fully utilized in a way that brings out all, all my best. Um, and uh, which is one of the reasons why sports is so attractive because one, one has a, uh, in games, one has the opportunity to excel and bring out the best and have that feeling of exhilaration. And uh, Jane McGonigal wrote about reality being broken. You remember that book where she says, if we can only get the, the thrill of gaming into work, how wonderful we could make the world if we focused on solving big problems with using the energy that people have in game. Gamification is a great example. I think, I think yeah. you know, it's funny. It's um, gamification is the idea of, of understanding the design attributes of games that can be repeated in work. Um, and games are just places to rapid prototype these things that make us whole and alive. Yep. So, you know, like for people who, um, who love to build, uh, Minecraft is a sort of a, a rapid prototype. It's a prototype of place of, of a, of a simulation of building. And so gamification is a great term. I like it a lot. 
game is not the key thing here. The game is just an experience that, that you can, that's a simulation of, of, uh, of reality. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so the last question I have for you is uh, about the individual. Um, obviously our book, the interconnected individual, uh, we're looking for people to seize opportunities using these technologies for finding work that matters to them. Um, how can individuals better prepare themselves for career opportunities, perhaps with a different understanding of the work experiences you've talked about it, and which characteristics and skills, both the hard and the soft skills, may be more important if they're seeking this whole and alive experience at work? Yeah. This is not, it's interesting. I thought I was going to have a different response to this when I, I, when I thought about this question ahead of time. But I, now that I, we're at this point in the conversation, what I realize is when you look at the work experience product and you think about buying it and you think about which one you want to buy, they actually do take different currencies. And, um, you know, the risk is, the risk is, one of the risks is that we, that we think about, ourselves as a product that that somebody else needs to buy and we forget that we're buying a product when we take a job and so the the risk of this question is that we start from the skills as opposed to what work experience product do i want to buy and so but starting with the work experience product that i want to buy um you then have to ask yourself well for the people who are selling that work experience what currency do they take and um, so it's very much going to depend upon what kind of experience you want to have before you, you think about the characteristics and skills that may be most important. And so I'm going to just say, if you're a puzzle solver and you love to solve puzzles, then, then there's going to be a suite of, of sort of, you know, currencies that you're going to want to bring to the table. To, to buy that experience. And some of those are going to be, I just name, I just know this is the one I know because I'm a puzzle. I come to work to solve puzzles. And so I need to come to work with uh, uh, rich skepticism. I need to be able to articulate abstract ideas. And that comes from just, to some extent it comes from practicing solving puzzles. And so, so I think that's the way to think about it is to think about those, those characteristics and skills that you want to have that are the right currency to buy the work experience product that you want to buy. Yeah. I, you know, Dart, I remember, and this may be in a conversation we had many years ago when I asked you, what are you looking for? And you said, you're looking for someone who's skeptical about data. Did I get that correct? That, they question the data, they question the assumption, they question the immediate uh, conclusions that people come and you want them to be skeptical uh, as they approach data. Now, that's true. And now let's think about this from a, here I am, I'm somebody who's selling a work experience product. And as somebody selling that work experience product, this this is a currency that I take. And so... In my world of puzzle solving, um, skepticism is core. Um, the sort of a certain, uh, I don't want people who have, who have religion about a, a particular way of solving a problem because they're not, you need to be creative in how you solve them. 
And so there's a lot of different things that I'm looking for as a vendor of a puzzle solving work experience. But if I was, if I was in sales, that's not what I'd be looking for. If I was in sales, I might be looking for somebody who wants to win. If I was in engineering, I might be looking for somebody who wants to build. And if I want someone who loves to build, you know, I, I would do something. I would, I would be asking for a different currency. Fascinating. This has been terrific, Dart. And um, uh, people can follow you, I presume, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I know that you uh, are, are very uh, prolific. So uh, people should be looking forward to what you write and what you say and what you speak. And uh, this has been a phenomenal contribution. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share some of these ideas. I really appreciate it, Jeff.